Well, good morning. How are you? Everybody good? That's, that's good. Wonderful to have you here on our fire drill day. Wow. <laughs> Boy, you guys get excited over anything, eh? Like, <laughs> that's, that's really great. Well, well, we'll give you something else to get excited about. As Matt mentioned earlier, we're into part two of our series on prayer. And if you were here last week, uh, again, we mentioned the, 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 the principle that the whole 10-week series is all about, is that prayer does change things. And we're going to be looking at, at, at one of, uh, I, I think, one of the best stories in the entire Bible when it comes to prayer. Um, and in fact, this, this story is so powerful. I think it illustrates two tensions when it comes to prayer. Um, maybe you've never thought of the tensions that happen in prayer, but this story really beautifully illustrates the tensions that we find, this twofold tension that we, we find when it comes, comes to prayer. And the story resolves it beautifully, absolutely beautifully. And it's one of those, and by the way, if, if, if you're looking at your life group material and you're looking at this story, um, they may not mesh the way you're normally um, uh, familiar with when it comes to life group. We're looking at an entire chapter today. So uh, your life group material is going to have a little bit more than what I'm presenting this um, during the message. You know, I'm only allotted 30 minutes of a Sunday morning, so I'm trying to get this whole chapter in. Um, I, I know I'm plugging for myself here. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, trying to get a lot of material in. So in your life groups this week, you're going to be looking at, at a broader picture of the passage that, that we're talking about this morning because there's so much good stuff. There's so much. Uh, in, in fact, when I sat down in, in my study this week and started through this, I realized that I could have done six messages out of this one chapter. Okay? That's, that's, how, that's how rich this particular chapter is. Uh, when it comes to this whole topic of prayer and the story that we're looking at. And here's the tension that I want us to talk about this morning, that this story illustrates very beautifully. There are two tensions that happen when we pray. And here they are. Number one is we ask the question, can he? And the second tension is, will he? Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're going to object to me saying, can he? But often when we go to prayer, one of the doubts that sits in the back of our minds as we're praying is, can God actually take care of this problem? Now, theologically, we all affirm that. Theologically, if you're a Christian, if you're a God follower, if you're you know, committed to Jesus Christ, you're saying, yes, absolutely. God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. God is God. And God is capable. He is able to take care of what I'm going to be asking him. The second tension that happens when we pray is, and we could resolve in our minds, yeah, God can do it. We don't have any problems with, with us coming to terms that God is all-powerful, God can take care of this, this problem is not too big for God, all of that kind of stuff. The second tension we end up with is the question, will he? And if you're like most people, the will he part of the prayer is where we really, really struggle. And what I love about this particular story is that it resolves both of those tensions. And we're going to walk through that this morning because um, the tension with can he versus will he are resolved in the story, but, but there's a beautiful theological 
of truth that is expressed in this story that crystallizes for us, all of us that struggle with the will he, that will help define will he for those moments that we're really struggling with it. So um, we're going to start into the story. We're looking at 2 Chronicles 20 this morning. And we're going to look at the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Now I need to build the context. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat has just received word that the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites, okay, <laughs> I, th I think those names are funny, don't you? I, I just, Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, okay? Those, yeah, those three, those three, those three uh, nations are amassing military troops to come and attack Judah. King Jehoshaphat has just heard that. And, and not only that, but these troops have amassed and they're within striking distance of Jerusalem. They're within striking distance of the nation of Judah. Now, if you are a king, you've just heard that three military powers have just come against you, what would you expect a king to do? Okay, obviously none of you have been in the role of a king before. All right. Um, as a military leader, what would you expect a king to do? Uh, in, in, my, in my mind, you would expect a king to call the, you know, his generals and all that stuff and say, okay, what's the strategic plan that we have to do, considering uh, you know, we have all these troops? Uh, wouldn't he also say, hey, mate, we have to reinforce the walls of Jerusalem. We have to you know, get, the, get the battle plan ready or all that stuff. Uh, he may have said, uh, all women and children to Helm's Deep. You know, something... <laughs> Just okay. You are awake. That's wonderful. Okay, all women and children in the helms deep, right? That's that's what you would have expected from a king. That's what you would have expected from a king. But what Jehoshaphat does is he calls the nation of Judah to fast and to pray, and he goes directly to prayer, and he calls the nation to fast and pray, which is not necessarily typical of what you would have expected a king to do when you have an enemy threat at your doorstep. All right? And I know you're going to say the Christian thing, you know, that's the Christian thing, and if he was a godly man, he would have run there. Uh, uh, that's okay. All right? I, I, we, we get that. But that's not what he does in the story. None of that is mentioned in the story. All right? And we're going to start as King Jehoshaphat and, and people have streamed into Jerusalem to pray with the king, to pray with each other. And we're going to look at Jehoshaphat as he prays before all the people here in Jerusalem. So let's read it together. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple. 
where your name is honored. Remember last week we talked about the name being honored? We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now we see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, another name for Edom, are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Let's park right there for a second. That is a beautiful prayer of a king who is convinced that God can. That's a can-do prayer. God, you are powerful. You are mighty. All the nations, all the nations are under your authority because you are God. You have brought us into this land. You have moved in history. We have recorded how you have done amazing things in the land and amazing things for your people. That is a can-do prayer, right? A nation and a people and a king convinced that God can do what they are praying for. Look at the very last verse of this prayer. The next slide, please. I love this. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do but we are looking to you for help. The majority of that prayer has been a can he prayer. Can he do it? Can God rise up against this enemy that is threatening our, our borders? Right? The nation's convinced. The people are convinced. They have moved forward. The very last part of this prayer, I think, is the turning point in the prayer where the king is now pleading with God Will you do something about it? Will you do something about it? And listen, if we're really being honest, isn't that the most difficult part of our prayer? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you can, you can talk about um, all the all the all the things that you understand about God, the character and the nature of God, that he is the one who spoke the universe into existence. He is the one that finally crafted and tuned the universe in such a way that, that we can live and survive here. That he is the one that, that has done miraculous things throughout history. That history is replete with the stories of how God moved and interacted. That God is the God of power and majesty and glory. And, you're, and, and we know that God can do these things that we ask and we plead of him. You know, even on a personal level, right? How many times have we prayed to God about something personal, a relationship, a job, um, health issues, and you're convinced that God can do it? Because everything that, that we know about God says that whatever we have in our lives, whatever, what, whatever difficulties we struggle with, God is the one that can do something about it. But don't we struggle in doubting that? And the reason why we struggle, because if God doesn't answer it the way we hope he will answer it, 
It's not a will he, but we think it's a can he. And what's beautiful about this story is as the king concludes his prayer and he says, God, will you, the God who can, will you answer our prayer? And this is beautiful. Let me read this next section for you. Right in the story. All of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Yahaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. It's God's. Tomorrow, I love this, tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, you've got to... Listen, if you have any kind of imagination, you've you, you got you to see in, 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 in your head how all these people are amassed before the temple of Jerusalem. The king has just prayed. All of a sudden, one guy stands up with the power of the Spirit of the Lord talking through him and saying, hey, I got a message from the Lord. Okay? You're not freaked out by that? Come on. Like, that's a great story, right? That's just an ama- amazing kind of story. And it says God is going to answer this, this request of will he, right? God will do this. Amen. He will answer this. And I, and, I, and I love it, right? Because there's a theological truth here that we have to come to grips with. That out of the mouth of a... You know, hey, listen. This guy got his name in the Bible from this one little story. Well, I'd love to, You know, wouldn't you love to have your name in the Bible? And this is the kind of story that comes out with your name attached to it, right? And, he's, and, and it, here's, the, here's the theological truth that we have to balance out with this whole idea of will he when we pray. is that the battle is not yours, it's God's. Listen, you need to wrestle with that. Because often in our prayers, we think that the battle is ours. Often in our prayers, we think it needs to depend on our strength. That if, if, if you're absolutely honest with yourself, when you're praying to God, you're asking God to give you the strength to manage to be able to conquer the thing, rather than say, God, this is your fight. This is your battle. This is your victory. This is, <laughs> this is something that you need to take care of. This is, you know, this is an absolutely important you know, theological truth because we, we can affirm so easily that God can do what we're asking of him. But we struggle at the moment when we wonder if God will do it. And when we recognize that the battle is God's, it's God's decision how the battle is going to end up, not ours. Because the battle is the Lord's, not ours. We may be foot soldiers in the battle. We may be the ones that God has said, I'm going to put you in the middle of the battle. 
But the reality is the outcome to the battle is determined by God. And I don't know about you, but it's very comforting to me to know that when we are praying and we acknowledge that God can do it, that we can release the will he do it, knowing that it's God's and God's alone to answer. And that for me, when I know that it's in God's hands, when I know that the battle is God's, then the outcome, I'm assured, is what God wants. We may not be totally comfortable with the outcome, but the battle is God's, not ours. This is such an important, to me, this is such an important theological truth. You, you may be here this morning, you've never struggled with the can he ability of God to answer your prayers, but we've all been in that place where we're wondering, how is God going to answer this? Will God answer this? I've been praying for this family member for years. I've been praying for this situation at work for years. I have been praying for that relationship for years. I've been praying for a prodigal for years. I've been doing, you know, but, but when we recognize that the battle is the Lord's and not ours, do we allow God to fight our, our battles? It's such a big deal when it comes to pray. That doesn't mean that we shirk our responsibilities, by the way. It doesn't mean that we stop praying. But when we pray to the Lord, when we recognize that we're his warriors in a battle, and I'm sorry I have to use that terminology in this day and age, but that's the reality is the way the Bible paints it. Okay? That the battle is the Lord's. You know, if, 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 when you get in your life groups, you're going to read the rest of the story. You know what's really neat about the rest of the story? No one says to, this, to Ahaziel in the crowd, shut up. What they do right away is the king bows down to worship. The whole nation bows down to worship because they've heard from the Lord. And you know what's really interesting? Right? Is that, is, is that Jehoshaphat then puts a choir together and goes out the next day to battle. And can you imagine if you were the enemy armies and you see is, you know, the nation of Judah coming with their, with their warriors, but there's a choir in front of them singing, right? What would you think, right? These guys, oh yeah, these guys are going to come in for a fight, Right? You know what happened? You know what the text tells us? Is that they begin singing, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites start battling against each other. Right? And, 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 the, and, and, these, and, then, and by the time Judah gets there to the, to the overlook and, and to see, they look over the battlefield and everybody's dead. They didn't have to raise a single sword. That's the miracle that happens in this battle. And it's absolutely incredible. In fact, it took, them, it took them three days for the king and the people to gather all the plunder that was left. Now, a question you're going to have to deal with, if God did a miracle and God said, you don't even have to raise a sword, why wouldn't God have just said, stay home tomorrow, I'll take care of it? 
Why did he still make the army get all done up in their military garb? Why did he still have to you know, get the horses ready, all of that, and still go out? What's God trying to teach about prayer when it comes? Here's, here's an important truth about the story. Here's, here's an important truth about the story. Prayer in the story becomes the catalyst for the miracle. Prayer in the story becomes the catalyst for the miracle. What we would have expected the king to do, no one would have been surprised by. But the king decides to call the nation to fast and pray. The miracle would likely never have happened had the king and the nation not prayed. That's the important truth about this particular story. That's what makes this story so powerful. Because number one, the people believe that God could do it. And God answered by saying, I will. I will do it. I don't know who said it. Um, uh, It's an unknown quote, but but somebody has written, you know, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. And I think... I think when it comes to prayer, I think our greatest struggle is those moments where we're asking God, will you answer? How are you going to answer? Lord, you know what we're going through. Lord, you know financially where our difficulties are. Lord, you know about our son. You know about our daughter. You know about my husband. You know about my wife. You know about our work. You know about these relations. You know what's happening in our lives, Lord. We've all been in those places where we're asking and we're pleading with God to answer. And, we're, and, and, and when God, when we struggle with the will he question of prayer, don't we in many ways assume that God is unable to do it because of that? But when we come to the realization that the battle is the Lord's and not ours, we can be confident that God can take care of it. And it changes the whole dynamic about why God doesn't answer it the way we want it answered. I love Proverbs 21, 31. It says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. See, if you're a believer here this morning, you are called to prepare the horse well. You are called to live your life in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. You are called to live your life in such a way. And yet, and yet, we know, we know that in our own flesh, in our own strength, we try to fight the battle ourselves rather than give it over to God. And here's a nation fully committed to the reality that God can do it and God answers with, I will do it. I will do it. Here's here's a PowerPoint 
just to summarize, the answer to the tension of will he is found in the knowledge that the battle belongs to the Lord. There are some of you here this morning, some of you here this morning, that have given up on God or have stopped praying in such a way that you don't think any longer that God is hearing you. You're praying in such a way where it's just, you're, you're just doing it out of a commitment of to being a Christian. You're praying, you're praying because that's what Christians do. That's what a religious person does. We just pray. That's, that's part of the game that we're, that we're a part of. And, 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 you, and, and you feel that, you feel that you are the one responsible for having prayer come out the way it is. But isn't it interesting that the nation, the nation of Judah recognized so deeply the character and the nature of God that when he answered there was no doubt in their mind that God was able to win the battle for them. By the way, you're going to get to the very end of chapter 20 and you're going to say Jehoshaphat was a great king and there's a very interesting story at the end of that chapter where Jehoshaphat makes a mistake. Okay? Just to tempt you. If you, if, if you, if you get a chance this week to, um, to read that chapter and to do the study, please do it. It's very, very, very important. Um, <clears throat> Listen, we live in... <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm going to drill this home. We live in a culture... That, that teaches us to be self-reliant, self-dependent. We think it's our own resources, right? But isn't it, don't our prayers become extremely powerful when we recognize that we've come to the end of ourselves, the end of our resources, and we plead to God for, for what has to happen next? Isn't, isn't that the place that we're talking about this morning? Right? It may not be an enemy crouching at, the, at, at, at your border and you're the king, but you know that, that metaphorically can get crossed across so many lines, humanly speaking, in so many different areas of our lives. And we struggle with, is God able to hear my plea? Is God able to take care of my problem? And the reality is, and you may not want to admit it, that many times we limit the power of God in our lives because we don't think he's hearing us. We don't think he's capable of doing it. And then we wonder why God isn't answering our prayer the way we want it to. And we struggle with, will he? Because the reality is we doubt in the first place that he's even able to do it. And can he? Right? You know, isn't it, isn't it interesting that in the life of Jesus, before he goes to the cross, you know, he says, he says to, to his disciples, um, don't you think I could pray to the Father right now and, and, and God the Father would send a legion of angels to save me from this situation? Isn't that amazing that Jesus... Think about the whole plan of salvation, 
right? You cannot save yourself. We live in a world that thinks that we can save ourselves, that we can, that we can, we can uh, get to heaven on our own accord, on our own resources, our own finances, and stuff like that, right? But Jesus answered the call to go to the cross on our behalf, something that we could not do on our own. Only God could do that. And he did, willingly, to save us from our sin. The entire plan of God in sending Jesus is a battle that we could not have won on our own. But the battle belonged to the Lord, and the battle was something that we could never fight on our own. And God the Father sending Jesus to complete that on our behalf. I love Ephesians 6, 12 to 13. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities, the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You know, in the midst of the battle, we'll be able to stand. You know, some of you are in that place right now. We are waiting for God for an answer. Have you really said, Lord, this is your battle? Lord, this is your war. Because in the realm of the spiritual, we have no tools to work with other than the Spirit of God in our lives. God is able. God can do it. But we struggle with the question or the tension of will God do it? And the reality is that the battle is the Lord's. Therefore, the decision is His how He answers it. The decision is His because the battle is His. Let me give you a memory verse for this week. I love it. I don't, my favorite psalm. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth. For some of you, that's going to be a really easy memory um, verse for this week. But that reminds us that our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Listen, you, you, this is a much harder thing to do in our lives than we want to say it is. Okay? You're going to have to maybe have a, a, a face-to-face with God this week. In our self-reliant world, to recognize that the battle's not mine, the battle is the Lord's. And that's even true about some things that are very personal for you. Your finances, your, your, the relationship with your spouse, your children, your work. Much of what we are trying to manage on our own is actually in the realm of the battle for the Lord. And to release that in any kind of way to see how God works in your life is an amazing thing to do. This is a wonderful, wonderful picture, a wonderful story. I hope you, 
you, you interact with it all week. Because it's one of those beautiful stories where both tensions of prayer get resolved. And that's why it's one of these stories that we love to pick out of the Bible. Because God's the hero. Miraculous things happen. A whole nation gets destroyed. God's people is saved. It's a, you know, it's a way we would love every prayer to get answered in our lives, wouldn't it? But we can never get to will he if we don't convince ourselves and know in our hearts by the Spirit of God that God can in the first place. And whatever God resolves at the end of it, that's God's decision. We're just called to be obedient to that. All right? I hope you have a wonderful time in your life groups. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of conversation going over this. As we deal with the two tensions of prayer, we'll talk some more about this as the series, because this is only part two of ten. Right? I was at a party last night, and, 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 and one of the people, my, my son turned 25 yesterday, and, and we had a party for him, and I had a pirate's hat on. They had a hat, they had a, anyway. It was a hat party. 25 years old, and they're having hat parties, you know? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and one of the people from his church came up to me and said, what are, you, what are you speaking on tomorrow? And I, I told him, right? And he said, wow, prayer, eh? And I said, yeah, we're doing 10 weeks of it. And he went, 10 weeks? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And then, and then he stopped and said, wow, I bet you there's going to be a lot of stuff there. And I said, yeah. There is going to be a lot of stuff. So we're only in part two. I, I pray that you'll interact with this text. It's a beautiful text. And it beautifully resolves that two tensions that we have in prayer. Can he and will he? And let's pray together. Father, thank you. For this um, beautiful passage. It's amazing how we can read it, recognize it as a story from the scripture. But even though written so many years ago, it's, it's so relevant to the struggles that we have today when it comes to prayer. And Lord, there's, there's people here this morning who have been praying for something who have been pleading with you for something. They may be frustrated. They may have given up. They may have started to think that you're unable. But the reality, Lord, is they need to be reminded that the battle is yours. That in the midst of that battle, you will give your people whatever they need to be able to get through the battle. That whatever you decide, we, Lord, on the other hand, are called to continue the fight, are called to continue to be obedient, are called to continue to be witnesses for you. And how liberating it is when we recognize that the battle is not ours, the battle is yours. So, Lord, there's there's people here this morning, Lord, that need to stop fighting. That need to give the battle over to you. 
Because that's the path to freedom and liberation, and that's the path, Lord, to you doing miraculous things in their lives. Sometimes the battle means that we just never get what we think we have to have. But releasing to you what we know we need to have. Lord, this can go in so many different ways, but there are a lot of smart people here this morning. And Lord, they know what it means for them personally in their lives. And I pray that you would help them to apply it this morning, to recognize that you can do all things that you love to do the impossible. And when we struggle with the will he, the reason is the battle is yours and not ours. So Lord, we commit this time to you this morning. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.